Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, Crossroads, thanks for being with us on annual meeting Sunday. You've probably heard me refer to myself as a church nerd before. Just love Jesus, and then I love his bride, love reading about the church, and I love going around and visiting different churches as well. That wasn't just my ears, was it? That was something else this time. Hey, that, that's an improvement, right? Well, um, whenever I go on vacation, Denise and I, uh, I'll spend as much time researching what church to go to as what restaurants to eat at, what things to do. Just love being consumed in all things regarding the bride. And I think part of that goes back to the way that I was raised. When I, we would travel around the United States with my parents as a kid uh, multiple times to the Crystal Cathedral or to Oral Roberts, or even back when it was Jim Baker and Heritage USA. That was just part of our travels. And I continue to love to explore different places as well, seeing what ministry is going on, and also checking out the buildings, because buildings can be cool as well. Now, this past April, I flew down um, to Dallas for a conference. Uh, not a church conference, not a conference just for pastors. There was a handful of pastors there. Uh, it could have been held in any hotel conference room, but it wasn't. It was held in this church in Dallas. I had no idea where I was going to, uh, but man, this massive just gorgeous facility. So every break, I would go off exploring. Uh, very first break, very first day of a four-day conference, I came across this, and I took pictures, and I sent them to Pastor Jeff and to Pastor Philip because this is their live streaming room. And you can't even see, there's more rows behind this. And probably, you know, the best, like, text response I got the entire year was my response to this one. I believe it was Pastor Jeff who said, are they launching nuclear missiles or are they live streaming? Maybe they're shooting down Chinese weather balloons. We don't really know. You laugh because you watch the news, right? All right. Yeah, um, but you know, it's such a great facility. As a matter of fact, talking to different people along the way, I found out it wasn't one of the largest church renovation programs in the United States. It was the largest. Back in 2013, $130 million was the size of this project. And you probably wouldn't be surprised. You can buy a lot of church building for $130 million, right? Uh, so I'm like, oh, please, I will give up lunch. Can we, like on lunch break, can we get somebody to give us a tour of this church? I would just love to see more because so much of it is locked off. And the guy who was leading our conference, uh, he had done consulting for this church, and he lined it all up, and he said, make sure you don't miss the prayer tower. And I, you know, I've been to like hundreds of churches. I never had been to a church that I know of that had a prayer tower. But whenever your outside water fountain um, costs as much as many entire churches Hey, why not? So we made it up to the prayer tower, and this is in Dallas, and like you're looking all around, and it is a place that is designed for prayer. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool, that's pretty nice, that's unique, must work for them. Now, just a few weeks ago, but let's fast forward. Just a few weeks ago, myself, Pastor Don, our bishop, seven other pastors uh, headed out to a conference in Iowa, in Pella, Iowa. And I know you're already, you know, jealous, right? A conference in Iowa in January. Uh, this little town of 
10,000 people. Perhaps you have some windows or doors in your house that were made there. But imagine my surprise as at nighttime we're pulling into the parking lot of this church. And I see this tower, five stories. And up at the top, full glass windows, is like this floating globe. And immediately I thought, that's going to be, you know, a pretty cool children's ministry area. Or could it be? Could it be? Imagine my surprise to find out in Iowa, there is a five-story prayer tower. Now, this isn't a $130 million church. This is a beautiful night's church. People love to do hospitality incredibly well there. But it's five stories all designed for prayer. And now, if you're tracking with me, that's two prayer towers in 10 months. I mean, are prayer towers now a thing? Nobody's been telling me about this. I haven't read about this anywhere. And I've never had a vision. I still don't have a vision for a prayer tower. I mean, if I was at a church and they had a prayer tower, I know my personality. I would start nicknaming it uh, the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, and it would catch on, and now all of a sudden it doesn't seem near as fun to anybody anymore to have a prayer tower. But I mean, in all seriousness, things like this don't get built right unless somebody had a vision. You know that somebody in that church had a vision uh, to not just do a regular old church building, but they wanted to do a prayer tower as well. And they were able to cast that vision and they get more people on board and they were able to do all the hard work because things like this don't get built without a vision, do they? And you think about vision, you think throughout scripture, you know, there's not much scripture that talks about vision, even though we know that vision's an important thing. As a matter of fact, there's far more stories that involve vision than there are words. If you read any book from any Christian author, and there's even just a chapter in their own vision, it's going to have this verse from Proverbs because there's so few verses. And as a matter of fact, come on, um, I never pull from the King James Version uh, but all 10 of my most normal go-to versions don't use the word vision. But this is where people go to. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And right away, maybe that starts to make sense to you. You know, when there's no direction, when there's no clarity, when there's no, hey, here's where we're going to. Uh, this is our goal. This is our dream. This is what God wants to do in us. When there's none of that, people perish. Things go sideways really quick. Things stagnant. Things coast. So let me tell you three of the things that happen whenever there's no vision. The first one is this, indecision. Have you ever been in a place in your personal life where you just didn't have a vision for your future? Should I buy a home? Should I not buy a home? Should I go back to college? Should I not? Uh, should I start dating? Should I not date someone? There's just all this indecision. There's no clarity. There's no direction. Should I switch jobs? Should I do this or should I do that? And all of a sudden... You just start to coast through life. And you know this. Come on, we know this. We never coast uphill, do we? It just doesn't happen. You don't coast uphill. Whenever you coast, you always coast downhill. Now, the second thing that happens whenever there's like unclear vision is that, you know, there is this idea of division, when there's not clarity of, hey, here's where we're going, here's what we're doing, this is what life's looking for us, this is what we're pursuing, there's just this division. And, and maybe you've experienced this before. Uh, you thought, you know, now that we have kids, I really think that our kids, you know, maybe they should go to private school. And your spouse is like, mm, 
you know, I'm thinking more maybe our kids should go to public school. And then your in-laws chime in and say, I think, you know, you should homeschool them. It's just horrible. This division takes place because there's not clarity of direction. You don't know where you're going. Uh, Maybe you think that we are a somewhat divided country, right? Because there's so much division, there's not clarity of direction. I mean, sometimes we can't agree on solutions, and that's bad, but that's like normal bad, right? You don't find many people in our country who say, we have just the right amount of mass shootings, right? Nobody says anything like that. But there is no agreement at all regarding the direction for a solution. So whenever you can't agree on a solution, that's bad. But what is so much worse? Do you know what is so much worse? When you can't agree on the problem, right? Do you understand what that's like? If you've never thought about it before, you can't agree on the problem. Here's a history lesson for you. We think slavery's bad. We don't think slavery's a problem. That's division over a problem. That leads to civil war, right? And this whole idea when there's not clarity of direction, vision, there's not agreement on that, it leads to division again and again and again. And the third area, when you don't have that clarity of vision, when the people perish, there's this whole idea of collision. It's life, you're just riding through life in a bumper car. Uh, People are banging into you from all different sides. In the church, what this often looks like when there's not clarity of direction or vision, it's like everybody wants to do their own ministry. Well, I believe God's calling me to start this ministry and start this ministry and start this ministry. And you have all these little pet projects going on, but everybody's bumping into one another because there's no alignment. There's no direction. There's only collision. Have you ever experienced collision in your family? How about this? It's Friday night and somebody says, let's go out to eat. And somebody else says, where? And all of a sudden, there's no clarity of direction. I have a good friend. He said that was their dilemma. He says, myself and my siblings, we could never learn. Every Friday night, my dad would say, let's go out to eat. But we could never agree. None of us could get our act together. So guess what? We never went out to eat. The dad says, we saved a ton of money, but we never went out to use the family because nobody could agree. It was just collision after collision after collision. So talking about vision quests for the rest of our time, I want us to look at a case study. Remember, there's not a lot of scripture on vision, but there's a lot of stories about vision. And we're going to land in Numbers 13 and 14. If you have your Bible app or your Bible, that's where we're going to be camping out today. Here's the situation. Uh, For over 400 years, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt. They were free. Moses led them out. They wandered the wilderness for over 40 years. And finally, they're at the land that God promised. What did God promise them? He promised them the promised land. A land that would be theirs. A land overflowing with milk and honey. A land that would be freedom for them. And they're on the edge of the promised land. That's where we're at in Numbers 13. And Moses pulls together one from each tribe, 12 different individuals, 12 different spies to go and do this vision quest, this vision trip to see what all is going on in the land, what it is like. And for 40 days, these 12 spies go out and they travel around and look at all these different cities, 
all the different valleys, all the different forests, and all of this land produces. And it's just like God promised, man, it is overflowing with milk and honey. Here's the instructions. Numbers 13, verses 17 to 20. Moses gave the men these instructions. He sent them out to explore the land. Go north from Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out what, whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? And why did Moses do this? I mean, Moses is a great leader. Why did he do this? They're at the edge of the promised land. He knew that the people needed clarity of vision. If we're going to move forward out of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, if we're going to move into the promised land, it's not going to be easy. People need clarity of what they're going after. They need to be able to see what they currently can't see. So sending out these 12 people to get a vision, direction, to come back and report to everyone so everybody can be on the same page, moving in the same direction. And after 40 days, they come back. They've done all their exploring. And here's their report. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community, to everyone, they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. They did just what they were assigned to do. They gave the report. And all of this sounds incredibly promising. But there's a problem. There's a problem with their vision. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they were looking at everything they explored with eyes of faith. Eyes believing that God was going to fulfill his promise. The 10 other spies, everything they saw, everything they experienced... They had a vision with eyes of fear. Two of them come back. Joshua and Caleb say, we can do this. Ten of them come back and say, we can't do this. We can't take this land. It was last year, um, a podcast I listened to once in a while. I think it's Leaders in Living Rooms. It caught my attention because the guest speaker on the podcast that day was a local pastor here from Lancaster County. So that, that got my interest and I was listening through the podcast and so many great things this pastor had to say, but I took notice of this. He said, decades ago, our leadership team, our church made a decision that we were going to lead and step out in faith in such a way that at any given time, 10 to 20% of our people were not going to be on board. We're not going to be what I would call, we're not going to be happy campers. He said, we're going to make decisions about, you know, building and about, you know, mergers and about starting a new campus. And we're going to change worship style. And more importantly, there's going to be all these different ministries that are really good ministries that we're going to say no to so that we can say yes to the most important ministries. 
And he goes on to say, this is the way that we have operated for decades. But then he went on to explain, he said, you know, for a church of our size, that means at a bare minimum, there are 2,000 people that are ticked off at us at any given moment. At any given moment, there are 2,000 people who really don't like the direction that we're going, that we're moving as a church. And I get that, and you get that. If you've let anything, anything, you understand. You don't normally get 100% of the people on the board. 10 to 20%, most of us could lead through that. There are times like we went through back in 2020, right? Unique times in life and ministry where you know regarding a pandemic and all things like that, any decision you make, 30, 40, 50% of the people aren't going to be happy, but you still have to make decisions anyways. But I get to a place like this, and I'm like, Moses is at a whole different level, isn't he? I mean, any of you, are you at this level? I mean, honestly, uh, this is not my level of leadership. This is like, you know, bars above. 10 out of 12 are saying we can't, we shouldn't. 10 out of 12 are saying God messed up. This isn't really the promised land. 10 out of 12 are spreading a bad report to the whole community. For, for those of you that are quick at math, is that 83%? 83% are against going into the promised land. I mean, that's huge. I'd be like, okay, I'm tapping out. Let somebody else lead this. This is not for me. I can't lead at that level. But Moses is able to navigate all of these details. And what you realize is we continue to work through Numbers 13 and 14. There are so many things that we can learn about vision. So many things that we can learn about leading with eyes of faith and not looking at life through eyes of fear. So let me give you just a couple of the lessons that we learned, the traps that I want to avoid in my life, that you want to avoid in your life, that we want to avoid as a church. See, whenever I look at the future with eyes of fear, not eyes of faith, this is what happens again and again. I overemphasize the negative. When you and I are living out of fear, when we're listening to the voices around us of fear, when we're seeing the world with fear, we're going to overemphasize the negative again and again and again. We're not going to talk about the positive. We're going to talk about the negative. Verse 27, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here, and they brought this big thing of grapes. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. And you're ready for it, right? But, 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 but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. A few verses later, they a few verses later they say it like this: We felt like grasshoppers next to these giant men. And when I look at the future with fear, and I emphasize the negative, and you and I, we've all been there, done that before, haven't we? There's very real consequences creates a lot more stress in my life, a lot more stress in your life. 
you worry that the glass is always half full. It's always a shortage. It's always you're about to be done. You can never look at the bounty of man. I already have half a full glass. I'm doing great. Life is filled with negatives, man. Everywhere you look, there's so many negatives. And you and I have a choice, right? We can focus on the negative. We can listen and give our time to the negative or we can instead look at what God is doing and focus on the positive and try and join him in the work that he is already at. Well, there's a second trap. Second trap we see in this passage. When we're looking at the future with eyes of fear. I pay too much attention to what other people are doing. In other words, I'm no longer paying attention to what God has promised or what God is doing. And you see here, you can paraphrase this in four words. There are people everywhere. There are people everywhere. And if you read between the lines, what are they saying? There is no room for us. The focus is on other people, not on God. It's a scarcity mentality. All the good land has been taken. Do you get a scarcity mentality? Have you experienced that at all recently? I have been perpetually sick for all of 2023, which means I've went to Target multiple times. And, you know, that cold and flu aisle for the most of the month of January, have you been there? You know, eight feet wide, you know, what is that? Five feet high or so, and it's been 80% empty. 80% 80% empty. And the scarcity mentality, my thought is what? There's only four bottles of NyQuil left. Maybe I should buy all four, right? And you know, I, and I, it's the temptation. But then you think, well, if I buy all four, then who comes in here after me? There won't be any for them. I'm going to buy just what I need for now. But that scarcity mentality can set in for all of us, right? All the good jobs are taken, I'm too old to do that. The scarcity mentality sets in because we look at the life with fear instead of faith. And we focus on other people as opposed to focusing on God and what he wants to do in us and through us and around us. Here's a third trap that we can fall into. When we look at the future with fear, I begin to underestimate the abilities that God has given me. You underestimate what God has done for you, what he has given to you, what he has blessed you with. Verse 31, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't. Come on, Joshua and Caleb, you're silly. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. We can't. We can't. It doesn't matter what God has promised. It it doesn't matter all that God has done in the decades before. It's simply, I can't, we can't. And seeing life with eyes of fear causes you and I to just bury our talents these 10 spies, man, looking at it with eyes of fear, they start to see themselves as inadequate. You've heard before those that say that I can't are always right. 
right? Whenever we say I can't, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We just sort of set ourselves up that we can never accomplish, never do, never be. When we say I can't, it just tends to become true in our lives. Here's the fourth trap. Fourth trap we see in this story. Whenever I look at the future with fear, I infect others with my negativity. Here's how it reads. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. They spread it. Come on. I often refer to these people as what? Negative Nellies. Everything is negative. Everything is gloom and doom. The majority of their conversation is always downbeat. And they can't keep it to themselves. They can't see the good in the midst of the bad. They can't see the potential in a difficult situation because they only see life with fear instead of faith. Do you know that fear is contagious? Do you understand that? Parents, make sure you get that. You can pass on fear to the next generation. Spending some time with an elementary school student recently and I forget how we were talking about flying. And they're like, I hate flying. And I'm like, oh, tell me about your experience being on an airplane before. I've never been on an airplane. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't say I hate flying. You can't have this fear of flying if you've never been on an airplane, right? Fear gets passed down from generation to generation. You get that. It spreads It takes root. When you become afraid, you start talking trash and you start talking negative and you start complaining and you're griping. This is why so much when you look through wisdom literature, when you read through Proverbs, so many times you come up again and again. Don't hang out with what scoffers and cynics. Don't hang out with negative people, critics, and complainers. There are some people in our lives we have to create boundaries on that we have to spend less time with because that negativity is toxic and it spreads and it infests. It had been hard to miss back in 2020 the amount of conspiracy theories that took root. More conspiracy theories, you know, in a year's time than in the decade before. But so many Jesus followers were spreading these things, spreading this negativity, because where were they tuned into? They were tuned into fear. How were they looking at life? They were looking at life with eyes of fear and not eyes of faith. One more trap. Fifth trap when we look at life with fear. I make myself and others miserable, and I want to go back. I want to go backwards to the good old days, right? Chapter, next chapter. Then the whole community began weeping aloud. The whole community began weeping aloud. It's a lot of people. And they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. And if only, if only we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they continued. If only, if only. It's a full-blown 
pity party, right? If only we had stayed slaves. If only we had died back in Egypt. Maybe even the wilderness we've been wandering for all these decades. If only we could have died them. Everyone is grumbling, mourning, longing for the good old days. Life would be so much better if I just died. Rather die than face the future with faith. And miserable people produce miserable people. You get that, right? How often have you been hanging out with somebody who's just miserable, who's just negative, who is just complaining about everything and everyone? How often have you been in a situation like that and you left saying, man, I feel so much better. I have such a positive outlook on life now. Man, let's go, God. Let's see what tomorrow holds. You know, the negativity is infectious. It takes root. It holds on. It takes you to places you never want to go. Old quote from Zig Ziglar, if you remember him at all. A rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out. Are you stuck in a rut in your life? Are you only looking at your future with eyes of fear instead of faith? It's basically the same thing as being dead, being in a grave. Nothing good is going to come your way. So crossroads, how are you doing? Crossroads, how are we doing as a church? Are are we looking at our future with eyes of faith? Do we have this vision for faith of what God wants to continue to do in us and through us and around us? Or is that fear kicked in and taken hold? Here's some quick warning lights that you can look at in your own life. Like a The lights that go off in your car when you know you need to do something or things are going to get really bad. If you start to see these things in your life or in the life of someone you love, pay attention. When your sadness is increasing, when your complaining is increasing, when you start second guessing yourself or your leaders, and when you want to just go backwards. You want to just go backwards. So in brief, here's an antidote. Here's the next step. Ask God to give you eyes to see the world around you with faith and not fear. And if you hang out for annual meeting or if you tune in and live stream annual meeting, why don't you listen to the reports of the staff and ministries and board? And are, you, and are you hearing stories of faith or are you hearing stories of fear? What's our outlook on how we're viewing what God's doing in, around us, and through us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for all the ways that you have blessed and cared and loved us. You didn't save us from sin and from death just to live life in a rut to live life caught up in fear. You want us to live a life of faith. So Holy Spirit, may you empower and equip us in our own lives to look at the world around us with faith and not fear. To be able to see where you're at work and join you in what you're doing. This might be that casual conversation at work or at school or in our neighborhood. 
might be a way to serve someone in need, but may we be people who see the world as you see it and step out in faith to serve and love in your name. For Crossroads as a church, you have proved yourself faithful again and again and again. Not just throughout the years, not just throughout the decades, but throughout the centuries. Fully believe that you're not done with us yet, that the best is yet to come, that you want to see us continue to be a light in our community, a light in a dark world. Have the privilege of seeing more and more people come to know you, Jesus, follow you, Jesus, and grow as disciple of Jesus. So as a church, give us eyes of faith. When fear creeps in, let's be open and honest with one another and with you so we can be cast out and pushed away. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are, for the work that you're doing. May we join you in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.